overall selection in the 2022 NHL Draft belongs to the Philadelphia Flyers. Number four, the Seattle Kraken. Number three, the Arizona Coyotes. Number two, the New Jersey Devils. The first overall selection in the 2022 NHL Draft belongs to the Montreal Canadiens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We are your hosts today, TJ and Zach. Hey, hey, hey. So we got Tony Ferrari on the show tonight. And uh, well, today, whenever you're listening to it, whatever, it's the Dynasty Series. And we got Tony Ferrari from uh, the Hockey News coming on. You guys probably remember him back at Dauber Prospects. And he's doing a lot of great work over at the Hockey News. He said he had um, top 50 for the Winged Wheel podcast. They are putting that up on their website. So check that out. We're excited to get into this conversation. Enjoy. All right, Tony, thanks so much for hanging out tonight, man. How are things going? They're good. They're good. It's a busy time of year with the draft coming up and everything, but uh, it's good this year so far. Are you Are you going to be able to get out there? Yeah, yeah. I'll be in Montreal this year, thankfully, so it'll be nice to be uh, on the ground at the draft. And I was supposed to go the last two years, but uh, the world kind of fell apart. That it did. That it did. This is our third year doing this for the Dynasty Series. It's awesome that uh, you could come back on the show. We're happy for that. If you guys want to find Tony, he's on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. You're covering the draft and prospects over at the Hockey News. You, uh, the Game Tape Podcast. You're one of the hosts there. Is there anything else people should check out that I'm forgetting here? Ah, uh, no, just all my work randomly, different stuff on prospects, uh, both drafted and undrafted, are all at the Hockey News. So definitely check all that stuff out. All right, we'll kick it off with some of the broader questions. Tony, what's up, man? Good to see you again. I'm going to start things off here. So I want to start off by juxtapositioning last year's draft to this year's draft. So like you saw Owen Power go first last year. You had uh, Matty Beneers there. What is kind of like the comparison that you see in the top part of the draft from last year to the top part of the draft possibly this year? Uh, it, it's interesting because I think coming into this year, a lot of people were looking at the 2022 class and they were like, oh, this is a, a draft class similar to 2019, similar to even 2020, the, the two recent good draft classes we've had. And with everyone kind of understanding that 2021 was a little bit of a, a dip down from the, the quality of prospects that we're having. And because of the pandemic and everything that's gone on the last two years, the interruption in this these kids' developments, whether it be the summer practices or just finding a, a weight room to even work out in, I think this class has kind of taken a step back from where everyone was expecting it to. So I don't think it's on the level of that, that 2019, 2020 class that we saw. But I do think there's still more upside than, than what we saw last year. I think last year we look at Owen Powers, we look at Matty Beneers, and even a guy like William Eklund, who everyone kind of argued there was more upside there with him than maybe the other two. This year's draft class has more upside, I think. The certainty isn't quite there. I think you looked at Owen Power and you're like, that's an NHL defenseman that we're not worried about that. Like, we know he's going to be. It's where he's going to kind of work out. Is he a second pairing guy? Is he a first pairing guy? We're going to kind of see. Matty Beneers, same thing. Like, he's a surefire top six center, but is he a number one? Like, and you're looking at those questions. I think this year you have a lot of guys that could be number ones. I think you can go as deep as in the draft as Brad Lambert, who some people have in the, the 20s, 30s. And I think Craig Button had him at 42 on his last board. If you're getting a guy like that, there's upside there that he's realistically a top end center. So I think there's a lot in this draft class that with development interrupted, you're still seeing a lot of the upside, the flashes, the, that that skill that made this draft class so enticing. But even a guy like Shane Wright, he did take a little bit of a step back this year in terms of what he was producing and everything. So what are we going to get from these guys? I think that's the biggest question, but I still think the upside is certainly higher than what is last year. Oh, man. 
Sorry, I just got a tweet. Bergeron's going to be back next year. Sorry, that's that's big. <laughs> it's a, he's he's not he retiring, so he's got to come back and win two or three more selkies, right? We just had a guy in our Discord. He was asking like, who should I draft in a dynasty right now? Heavy uh, emphasis on goals and power play points, and it was between Pasternak and Kyle Connor. But I guess like you know, I don't I don't know the longevity of Pasternak being able to carry it by himself. That's a talk for a completely different day. Back to 2022 draft class here is who who do you consider from this class being NHL ready? We got a couple looks at guys like Beneers had a small cup of coffee. Eklund had a small cup of coffee. A lot of small cup of coffees last year. And, but are there any that you see jumping out from this first round, potentially hopping right in? Well, as much as I'd want to argue that Shane Wright should probably at least spend one more year in junior, ideally the AHL would be the perfect spot for him, but that's obviously not possible with the CHL and NHL agreement. So I think Shane Wright's probably going to be in the NHL next year. I, I think he'll be a perfectly good middle six center at the NHL level. He plays a good two-way game. I don't think he's going to look out of place necessarily. I think the offense might be a little slow to come. I think we've seen that the last few years with draft drafted prospects, whether it's Lafreniere or Kako, or even going back to Jack Hughes' first couple of years um, before really exploding this year. And I think I think Shane Wright's going to kind of follow that that suit a little bit. I think Slavkovsky has a chance to play this year. I think a guy like David Juracek has a, re- a really good chance to play this year as a defenseman. Um, at the same time, I'm always arguing most of these guys should get one more year, whether it's playing pro in Europe or playing over in the AHL. And I think that's with the, especially the European prospects. The AHL route is such a fun, awesome route to take. A guy like Brad Lambert, in my opinion, uh, Joachim Kamel, they'd look amazing in the AHL next year. And then you can get them up for that cup of coffee. And if they look good in that cup of coffee, you let them play up a little bit longer. And that's how you get a, a decent little development with your hands on too. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Slavkovsky, Juracek, and, and Shane Wright are probably the guys that look look good in the NHL next year and look capable and don't look out of place. Anyone else, you're probably going to look at a guy that's like, eh, I don't know. And I, th- I do think there's a couple guys down the draft board, though, like Liam Bichel and, and stuff like that, where it's like you could put that guy in the NHL because he's not going to look terrible because of what his game is isn't an offensive producer. He's not a guy that's going to push the pace. But as a defensive first guy, I think he could look good in the NHL because he looked pretty good over in the SHL this year. I think your check's going to be great in Philly, man. I don't know if you remember. We're, we're, we're Flyers fans. I would be so into that. He's definitely one of my guys for sure. Who are some of your guys? Like, I am also, I'm not going to lie, and I will tell everybody this, Shagger Furkus, he is another one of my guys. But who are some of your guys you just kind of like, you're just partial towards? I think the, the big one this year is Frank Nazar. He's a guy that I've been huge on all year. He's got unreal pace, unreal skill. I've called him a controlled ball of chaos nice. all year long. He's a guy that every time I watch him, I'm just like, he's going to do something. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't think he knows what it's going to be yet, but he's going to do something fun. And, and I think he's a guy that I look at and I'm like, there's just immense upside there. I think him and Cooley have probably around the same high, high end upside, but I think with Cooley's kind of game being a little bit more refined and projectable, I think that that's the reason he's a lot higher on draft boards and why he's kind of in that argument for the top three, top four in the draft pick class. Whereas Nazar is kind of down in the, back into the top 10 or even kind of falling out now that Cutter Goche for whatever reason's gotten up into the top 10. So weird. It's, it's like over the last week. I don't understand. You know what it is? I think, honestly, I think he went to the combine, had some great draft interviews, and he kept telling people he's going to play center at college next year. And they're like, well, he's a center. And it's like, yeah, he played four games while Kulu was at the World Juniors. So he's definitely a center. And, and that's not to say Gochi is a bad player. I think Gochi is a good player. But like seeing him and Nazar kind of all of a sudden flip spots, it's a little weird to me considering how 
how much upside there is in Nazar's game, how much offensive potential there is in, in Nazar's game. But another one of my guys this year, the guy that I've stuck my neck out for all year is Brad Lambert. I just, I've, I've mentioned his name a couple of times since because the dude had so little production over in Europe this year. He was in such a bad spot. He was doing so much well with Yippie Vescula and then went, got traded to the, requested a trade to the Pelicans and went to the, to Lati there. And that team was an absolute dumpster fire. If I'm being completely honest, like they, they tried five men across the ice breakouts. They tried the flying V like some of the stuff that they were doing just in general was like the minorest of minor league hockey. And it was like, this guy is a pro hockey player. He does so many pro tendencies when he's playing with Yip. uh, He was always kind of pushing play to the middle of the ice. Even if it wasn't him skating there, he was sending passes to high danger. He was creative. He was strong on the pucks. He'd be a four checker. There's a lot of things that he did really well. He was just snake bitten and Joachim Kamel on the same team. Kamel got all this opportunity right on the first line. They're like, here's Yuri Turkalainen. You're sticking with him. Don't worry. You're, we're never taking you off that line because he's not a play driver, Kamel. He's a goal scorer, a finisher, a guy that needs someone to drive the play, and then he finishes it off. Great player. Not the same level of Brad Lambert, in my opinion. Brad Lambert's a guy that drives play, does so many things. And because of that, they were like, start in the first line. Here's three shifts on the fourth line. Oh, you're going to play in the third line this shift, and then two two shifts on the second line. And at the end of the night, he's got 11 minutes with 14 different line mates. And you're like, all right, like that was a sweet shift when he played with two defensemen. Like I, I don't know what they were doing with him at times. So I understood his frustration. The skill level is insane. I look at him a lot of the same way. I looked at uh, Lucas Raymond a few years ago, who I had fourth on my board that year, third on my board that year, and everyone thought I was a little crazy then. I had Brad Lambert fifth on my board this year, which admittedly is extremely high. I I don't think there's really any scouts that have or any public boards that have them higher outside of maybe Will Scouch. So it's like I'm obviously sticking my neck out, but with the skill level and the the pace and the projectability I see in his game, I'm like, there's something there like and he's going to excel we saw that in a brief stint at the world juniors we saw that anytime he played internationally in the last couple of years he excelled put him with players that are functional and he's going to be good but when you're asking him to be a, a part of a five-man breakout as all five guys are skating across center line together that's not conductive to anything let alone any offense so you've you spent your time in fantasy circles you know we we found you at dauber hockey we loved you there we love what you're doing at the the hockey news so you know what we're looking for here we're looking for hits PIMS, power play points, that kind of thing. I want to go over some of these guys that you might consider category specialists here. I heard Kamel in there as a goal scorer. Is the, are there any other players, um, maybe first round, even even past, that you consider pure goal scorers? I look at him and Lakaramaki as the two big ones that I think both those guys have high end shots and they're extremely good off the puck to get into those little pockets of space that you look for in a goal scorer. I think Austin Matthews, obviously the elite of the most elite is completely invisible until he's not at times. And that's what you want from a goal scorer. And Kamel and, and LeCaramacchi both have that. I think Jagger Furcus also just an absolute mm. stud. He has the ability to kind of create space for himself, which I absolutely love. The, the guy has some of the most creative hands and the best puck control in the draft, in my opinion. So I think he's another guy. And then he has an absolute bomb for a shot. And the one guy that I'll, I'll mention that doesn't kind of get the love as a goal scorer that I think he should. And that's Gleb Trikazov, the Russian player, plays in the MHL. Absolute cannon of a shot. Just rips it from everywhere. Scores a ton. This is a kid that I'm like, you figure out how to rein his game in a little bit, refine it and put him in a system that him being the guy that isn't necessarily having to do everything. And he can focus on being that goal scorer and that offensive play driver. He's a guy that I think could be a really high end offensive player too. Now, how about uh point ceiling? I know I've heard a lot about, um, you know, you brought up Frank Nazar in the same vein as uh, Logan Cooley. Do you think they have kind of the same point ceiling? 
And is there anybody that outpoints them? Yeah, I think those two guys are probably the highest end upside for just pure points if you're looking for that. I think Shane Wright obviously is going to be a pretty good producer at the NHL level. Is he a 70 point player? Is he a 90 point player? I think that's really kind of the question with him right now. A um, couple guys like I mentioned, Jager Furkus, Matthew Savoy is another guy that I think doesn't get the love that he does. He should because he's a five nine center and people want to move him to the wing. I think he'll be perfectly fine if he does have to move to the wing, but he excels in space. And that's what I really love about his game. So if you can find a way and be patient enough to allow him become a B plus version of Braden point, I don't think you're complaining about a 75, 80 point player with, with a guy that can play center like that. So I think he's another guy. You, you look down up and down the list and Jagger uh, because I'll bring him up again. I think uh, Noah Ousland is a guy that's a little bit of a sleeper. He's probably going to be down on draft boards uh, on a lot of boards. He's in the 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s. Um, so depending on where he gets drafted, you might be able to get him pretty late in your fantasy draft. And he'd be a guy that I think could be a sneaky 70, 80 point player if, if everything works out for him. Liam Ogren, again, a guy that I think is going to be projectable. You're going to be able to look at him and go 50, 60 points no matter what. You're probably going to be able to get him fairly late because everyone looks at him and they go, he has pro potential, but his upside isn't crazy. But that pro potential is probably pretty good still. So if you're drafting number one overall, though, you, I'm saying you're drafting number one overall, fantasy perspective, who are you taking? I'm probably really leaning towards Shane Wright, but Logan Cooley is certainly in that conversation. I th- oh, It's tough. I think it would depend on where Logan Cooley goes. If he goes to an environment that's conducive to offense, a- aka not Seattle, I think I'd probably lean towards him. I think he's a guy that can really play really high. If he ends up in a situation like New Jersey, putting him with a guy like Jack Hughes, I think you'd have huge offensive potential there. You put him in a situation like Seattle where he's going to be asked, hey, do everything because we have no one other than Matthew Beneers, who's also 20 years old. It's going to be a hard, harder time for him to do that. So I think depending on where Logan Cooley goes, I probably lean Shane Wright. If Logan Cooley is in New Jersey, if Logan Cooley ends up in a situation where he's not going to necessarily need to be the guy right away, I think he's the guy I, I'm certainly leaning towards. I think anybody that ends up in New Jersey in the next couple of years, they're going to have a lot of potential. Yeah, because I mean, imagine a line of like Jack Hughes, Logan Cooley, and Tossin Alexander Holtz. Oh my God. Awesome. You're going to be laughing at that. <laughs> Do we have a uh, a Tyler Boucher of this year? Like who's who's the the sandpaper guy, the Pims, the, the hits? The, the Tyler Boucher guy, I, I feel bad like because everyone makes shits on Tyler Boucher because of where he got drafted and everything. And and some people are calling Cutter Gauthier that guy. And maybe he is the, the sandpaper, that, that kind of guy that can kind of get some pims and get some hits and stuff. But I think you're looking at David Juracek. I think you're looking at Yaroslavkovsky. Uh, I think both those two guys are going to be able to put up a ton of hits, penalty minutes, and, and really kind of be that element and bring that to the side of the game too because both those guys are big physical freaks. I think Connor Geeky is a guy that will probably end up with a lot of penalty minutes. I don't know if he's going to get as many hits. He's huge. Because he's huge, and he, sometimes he's reaching and stuff like that, and that's where he might get some of the penalty minutes and whatnot. Yeah, I think a guy that really kind of throws the hits around is Lane Bichel. He's a defenseman, plays in the SHL. Uh, Swiss defender throws the body like with the best of them. I think Noah Warren's probably up there for that as well. Loves to just absolutely crush guys. I think at the top prospects game this year, I was there live. And one of the best moments was Noah Warren absolutely crushing Shane Wright along the boards on the back end of the boards, like three minutes into the game. He's like, I don't care if you're going number one, I'm going to destroy you. And he tried to put him through the, through the glass and he just don't well did like Shane Wright stick went flying and everything. So I think Liam Bixell and, and Noah Warren are two guys that you got to look at, especially on the back end if you're looking for hits. Who would you consider, let's look like past the second round? We've talked at length about the first round here. Uh, second round and beyond, who do you consider to be these sleepers? These, And I know we've had them sprinkled in a little bit here and there, but uh, 
you know, is there is there anyone we're leaving out? Anyone we're leaving out? I think it's going to be an interesting draft because there's going to be a guy in the OHL that didn't get to really develop the last couple of years that ends up being a guy that looks really good. Is it a Hunter Height? Is it a guy like uh, you're going out to the QMJHL? Is it a Maverick Lamoureux going to be able to, who's kind of all over the place? He's not really, uh, I don't want to say he's a sleeper because some people have him in the first round, but other people like myself, I'm like, I don't really have interest in him in, in, in the NHL draft, but he could be a guy that just, absolutely starts blowing people up and everything. Uh, a guy like Seamus Casey, I think could be like, he's going to get drafted outside the first round probably because of his size and he didn't produce as much as he should have this year. Is he going to be able to put up a bunch of offensive numbers as a defenseman? Ty Nelson, underrated, underrated physical player. He's undersized. He's five, eight, but he has no problem getting in there and battling it out. And he's got the offensive potential to kind of put up some points and be kind of a multi-cat guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, looking down the list a little bit more, uh, you're looking at a guy like, Philip Bystead, who's got a ton of skill, but he's kind of got a big frame and he isn't always going to be the, the physical presence, but he has that ability to kind of close guys out along the boards. Can he develop a little bit more of a mean streak? Christian Cairo, a guy that has a ton of offensive talent, ton of offensive creativity, needs to learn to get a little bit faster on his feet, though. So the big thing with this draft is there's so many guys outside of the first round that I'm like, I would love to take this guy in a fantasy draft. I would love to kind of take the chance on this guy. But like, there's these major flaws that that didn't get worked out developmentally. I think if you're looking for something a little bit more sure, like outside the first round, a guy like Matthias Sapovalov from, from Saginaw, Russian center, plays a good two-way game, will has no problem hitting a guy, scores a bunch from the in front of the net, could be a really projectable, easy like guy that you're like he could put up 40 points, get me some uh, hits, get me some some faceoff wins, kind of fill in a bunch of the peripheral categories that are outside the first round. And then, like I said, guys like Noah Warren, Jack Devine, like you're looking down the list of, of different guys and there's a lot of swings in this draft. And I think that's going to be the really interesting thing about it. feels like a quantity over quality. Like, you know, you get a bunch of picks and that's that's kind of what you want. You want as many lottery tickets this year as possible. Yeah, like if I'm looking at a teams, I'm looking at like Detroit, Arizona, teams that have like two or three second rounders, two or three third rounders, like take a bunch of dudes that have the, these risks, obviously, whether it's skating or translatability or whatever it ends up being in their game and, and bank on it and be like, well, if, if they can fix this one thing or we can get if we take four guys in that range, one of them are going to figure it out. Like we're going to get one guy out of that and he's probably going to be better than mo most people are expecting. Next up, I, I kind of want to change it up a little bit and talk about some of the defensemen in this draft. Maybe who the first defenseman off the board might be, but I kind of think that between the two of these two is where it's going to be, and that's Pavel Matukov and Denton Matejchuk. Now, I see them both very similar as the fact that they, you know, they have a lot of offensive upside, but I don't know that they are, you know, a Kale McCarr-level offensive upside defenseman. I think Matejchuk takes a little too many risks for my liking. What do you think they're, you know, the things that make them different? What What is it that I'm going to pick Matukov over Matejchuk? Uh, they're interesting because I think both of them are probably the two best examples of positionless defensemen I've seen in the last few years, especially Matukov. He's a guy that I think the big thing with him is I've never seen a defenseman be the first man in on a forecheck as often as he is. He's a guy that's willing to just absolutely just go into the offensive zone. He doesn't care. 
where he is on in the offensive zone. He'll go up and down the wall. He's a complete rover of a player. Like I remember on my board in, in December when I first released my first iteration of my rankings, I, I jokingly listed him as a left winger and left defenseman because the dude just kind of played everywhere. Like he, he was lined up as a defenseman of every face off, but then he's also playing on the wing. He's getting in front of the net. Like he, this dude's all over the ice. And I think that's what makes him special. You're going to need to rein some of that in. I think you're going to need to go. Okay. Like, you have a position like you should try to play it once in a while. <laughs> Why is this defenseman's comp Zach Hyman right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like he's a guy that's like, oh, great four checker. But he's that guy. Whereas with Matejchuk, he has this incredible creativity that really he brings to the game where he does things that I've never really seen before. Like I remember one time he was trying to go east west in the neutral zone and he just flipped the puck off the glass to himself. But like not to advance the puck up ice, but literally just to get over a, def- a guy that was trying to defend him. He just threw it up off the ice, uh, up off the top of the glass, came over, caught it himself, put it down. And it's like, that's weird things that like you don't think of. It probably won't work at the NHL level, <laughs> but he does so many of them that you're like, he's going to try this at the NHL level. He's going to do some weird stuff. And d- some of it will work out of, uh, at the end of the day. And a lot of it's not going to work out all the time, but this is a guy that brings this incredible creativity. And obviously, Camel Carr is the gold standard, Roman Yossi, guys like that. Both those two guys have that ability to kind of be a difference maker from the back end with some offensive creativity, offensive flair. I think sometimes Matejchuk in the offensive zone has some a little bit of a predictability. But at the end of the day, I think both guys are extremely high-end offensive players. I think I have uh, Minchukov a little bit ahead of Matejchuk, but... I think Matejchuk's offensive ceiling is probably a little bit higher because of that creativity. So we got Zach Hyman and Dr. Strange. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I want to uh, I want to do the same exercise here with a couple of wingers, and that's Jimmy Snuggerud, who just screams Pittsburgh Penguins to me for some reason. I, like I just I want to put that on the record somewhere because if I call it, I'll look cool. If not, hey, I missed. It's a one in thirty two chance. But anyway, uh, it's Jimmy <laughs> Snuggerud and Dania Yurov here. Um, what what are the like, what does one do better than the other? What are their uh, strengths and weaknesses? Well, I think the the one thing Jimmy Snuggerud certainly does better is plays hockey. <laughs> and that's just because Yurov was in the KHL this year getting a minute and a half a game. Why do they do that? It was so frustrating. It's because I've asked that question so many times. And, and the big thing is, well, you watch him in junior and he's absolutely dominant. He just completely toys with people at times because he does play this really pro-ready offensive meat and potatoes guy that you're not worried about. You're not looking at him and doing the same thing you're doing with Matejchuk where you're looking at Matejchuk and you're like, what are you doing? Like, what is going on in your mind right now? Danilo, you're off. You know what he's kind of doing. So I think he's got this translatability, but he gets to pro level and it's like, yeah, they're not going to play him because he played for a high-end team in the, in the KHL. So he's, they're tossing him on the fourth line. They're making him kind of earn his minutes, but he's not getting minutes. So how, can't, how can he earn them? So he's a guy that at the end of the day, I think plays a really meat and potatoes game understands how to make the, his teammates better. He did a really good job making Maroshenchenko look fantastic at the Halinka and the under-18s last few years. He's a guy that I think you look at and you're like, okay, I know what I'm getting. I'm getting a second-line winger, a guy that I'm not too worried about. I'm not looking for that high, high-end upside, but I'm also not worried about him becoming a fourth-line guy at the NHL level at the end of the day. I think that's the big thing with his game is you have some assuredness, some safe safeness and, and projectability to his game. With Stuggerud, I think you do have a little bit more offensive upside. Like I could see him being a, a really high-end passenger, and I've called him elite, an elite passenger a few times this year. I want to see a Chris Kunitz where you throw him on a line with Crosby since you wanted to bring up the Pittsburgh uh, comparison. You throw him a line with Crosby, and I think he'd be perfectly functional there. You throw him on a third line, I think he'd be perfectly functional there. So I think he's a really versatile 
style winger. He's got a shoot first mentality. He's got a really good shot, but it's not great. And, and he just does a lot of things. Well, he's a very North South player. You're not going to have to worry about whether or not he's going to work hard. He puts in the effort in the offensive zone. His defensive game is that of a winger. And that means he doesn't play much one. And he kind of just coasts along the, the top of the zone. And hopefully he kind of intercepts the pass and kind of get the breakout going. Or and if you get the puck, he's going to put himself in a good position to, to be an outlet pass. So He's not doing a whole lot defensively, but as a winger, you don't really need to at the end of the day. He's going to be able to kind of get north and south and play on the wing, cut to the middle of the ice and make some plays offensively and then work hard to keep the puck in there, whether it's on the four check or right after the puck's turned over, he'll close out on a guy along the wall as they're trying to break the puck out. So I know earlier we, you know, kind of grazed by Connor Geeky and I, I kind of want to put a little bit of a, a spotlight on him and and hear what you have to say a little more about him because he's one of my favorite players in the draft. I think that, you know, the Flyers could have a chance to get him and it would be something that would excite me. Um, I think they have a lot of chance to get a lot of good players here in, in, in the pick they have. But Kanakiki is one of those players. He's a two-way center. Like, he's a playmaker. He, he does a little bit of everything. He's actually got a little bit of that Patrice Bergeron in him, the way I see. Um, he's great offensive talent. Uh, you got to agree with me here, right? What What do you think about Connor Geeky? I think Connor Geeky is a great player if you can get his feet working. I think the biggest thing with him, like like you mentioned, he's got some really good defensive tendencies. I think one of the biggest things with him is he's maybe the sneakiest good defensive player in this draft. I think he's one of the best players at lifting sticks, timing out when a pass is about to get to a player and intercepting it. He does a, a lot of really smart things positionally, defensively. I think he can play center at the next level. I think offensively, like skilled playmaker, really good shot. Doesn't use it enough for my liking. I'd love to see him shoot a little bit more. Um, I think maybe that just comes with maturity and everything. But this is a guy that I think has a lot of the tools that you need to be that two-way presence at the NHL level. He's going to play at the NHL level, even if his skating doesn't improve, I think. And that's a big thing with him. He could be a third-line center. But you look at him and you're like, if that skating can come one I say one step, but like honestly, it's going to need to come two or three steps. He could be a really high-end offensive player, and it'd be a real big difference maker at both ends of the ice. The big problem with him is it's almost like he's mad at the ice sometimes when he's stomping around. He's just absolutely just crushing ice and and really trying to just cut it up and make the Zamboni's driver's life hell. But this guy has so much uh, talent, so much ability, so much understanding of the game that you're like, it's going to work out in some way regardless so where's that upside i think that's the biggest thing you're looking at a guy that could be a, a top line center i'll be at a low end top line center but a legitimate first line center if it doesn't then you're looking at a third line center and i don't think you're really complaining about that either at the end of the day so this is a guy that does a lot of things really well uh, you listen to his personality i've talked to him a couple of times this year seems like an awesome kid really sure of himself confident that he's going to be able to improve and the big thing with him too that i'll, I'll note is that while he's a big kid his lower body isn't fully built out. That kid's going to put on a little bit more strength, a little bit more size, especially on his lower half. And he's going to be able to develop more power in that stride. Is that stride going to be just more stomping through the ice or is he going to be able to get it be more, a little more functional, a little bit more technically sound? If he gets to a good development system, I look at a bunch of different teams around the league with their skating coaches and in the off season and, and working on that and showing improvement. I mean, we all looked at John Tavares back when he got drafted and as much as, as offensively talented as he was, everyone was like, yeah, but he's not a good skater. And we're starting to see that now late in his career, skating's falling off again. But when he was at his best, he worked with a skating coach and he got up to speed and he wasn't a great skater, but he was a good enough skater. And I think Connor Geek as a guy that, well, I don't think he's John Tavares. I think he has the ability to kind of work on that skating and get to that, that next level that we all kind of hope he can. Super coachable skill skating. So yeah, unless you're Matthew Strom, but 
that's yeah. going to be me. Uh, I'm also going to say something else here that I'll take all the credit for. I don't mean to incriminate you, but I want to talk about Isaac Howard, who to me has just been the most vanilla player of the first round. Now, you don't need to necessarily agree with that, but is there anything that I'm missing? Like, what is exciting about this guy? He just seems the, the floor is fine and the ceiling is not far away from the floor. Yeah, he's, I think he's one of those guys where you're like, he's going to be a, a good second liner or a slightly above average third liner. Like you, you, like you said, you're not really looking for a guy that you're worried about falling out of your lineup necessarily, but you're also not looking at a guy that's going to be the difference maker. I think he's a great complimentary player. I don't think he's a guy that's going to drive a line. I think he's got good, not great speed. He's got good quickness, but I don't know if he's got the quickness to necessarily pull away all the time. Yeah. He's a safe pick. And, and I think there's some people that I've seen around the draft world that have been like, Oh, he's a do not draft. I think they're being a little bit ridiculous. And then there's some people that are like, Oh, he's a top 10 prospect. And I think they're being a little bit ridiculous. At the end of the day, I think this is a guy that's going to go at the end of the second or end of the first round, beginning of the second round, because he is that safe player. He's probably going to play in the NHL and you're going to look at him and you're going to go, he had a good career bouncing around five teams and he scored 20 goals a few times. Like that's going to be kind of the kind of guy he is. I think a pretty decent fantasy asset towards the bottom of your lineup that is kind of pitching in a little bit of everywhere. He's not going to put up big hits or put up a lot of peripherals, but he's going to get you some, some points and, and be decent enough at that, that he's relevant. Uh, I want to bring up one last player here and that's uh Rucker McGrady. Um, I think he's just, you know, another one of, Oddly enough, there's actually a very American-heavy draft class. I think there's a lot of really good young Americans, and that's exciting. It's like all the US NDDP. Like half the first round is is this team. Well, I think it's cool. It's not very often that that, that happens. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing for the US to actually have some young prospects. But Connor McGrory, I love right wings. I find them to be intriguing because once you look at things in a fantasy pr- uh, perspective— Right wings are hard to come by. I like his offensive upside. Do you see him as a more bottom halfer of that first round or top halfer? I think he's going to be a guy that goes in the middle of the round. I think he's probably going to go in that 15 to 20 range. So I guess he'd technically be in the bottom half, but at the top end of the bottom half. I think he's a guy that, like you said, he's got that offensive potential. I think he's got a ton of offensive skills. One of the best players that just kind of weaving through traffic and, and jumping into a spot at the right time. I think we saw that a ton at the World Under 18s. He's got a great name, Rutger McGrory, obviously. Fantastic hockey name. Any team that gets to draft him is going to have fun with that. His defensive game is going to be lapses and stuff like that. And when you're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, you're not too worried about that. He's got a, a big frame and he can kind of hit guys once in a while. He'll be more than willing to kind of get up along the boards and collect a few hits here and there. But this is a guy that understands how to score a goal and does it really, really well. So I think he's going to be a fantasy asset. Does he go in the top half? I could see the team falling in love with him, certainly, because he's got that leadership quality. He's got some of those really high-end offensive talents that you you look at and you're like, there aren't a ton of guys that can do what he does in terms of just evading space and and powering through defenders, too. I think that's the other big thing he does is like a lot of public scouts at least look at a guy like this and they go, look at how he's able to hold off that defender while battling in front of the net and then roll off into into a spot and really kind of clean up the space in front of the net and and do a lot of things like that. This guy that can play the net front or the the bumper on the power play. It's not going to be a guy that's out on the wing doing the, the, the half wall stuff or up at the point kind of running the show but he's going to be an integral member of that power play working in front of the net and kind of the dirty work so i think he's gonna be a guy that produces pretty highly does a little bit of peripherals in terms of uh hits and and stuff like shot blocks and stuff like that when you're looking at a guy like this some team's gonna fall in love with him because like you said that this ndb ntdb class 
Well, I don't think it's the same quality as that 2019 class. I think we could see five, six, seven guys go in the first round, which would kind of c- come close to matching that 2019 class where we had Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and Spencer Knight in the, in the, the big group that they had. Man, we're, we're getting spoiled for names this year. We got Rucker. We got Gleb. We got uh, Jagger. It's a fun, fun group. Jimmy Snuggerud. Like, that's, there's so many. My favorite has been Nando Eggenberger, and I, that's a hell of a name. So I want to take a step outside of the uh, 2022 draft class and talk about some NHL prospects. I took to the Discord, and we got a couple names here that uh, folks wanted to get your opinion on. It's Jake Neighbors. Jeff was curious about him, and Jordan is curious about Samuel Hellenius and his D plus one uh, just hasn't been the best. So where do you see Jake Neighbors' game at the moment and your take on Hellenius? Oh, man, I, I think Jake Neighbors is a really fun player. I think he's going to be a guy that maybe doesn't produce the offensive level that some people once thought, but I think he's a guy that could score 30 goals, maybe 20 assists, going to be a 50, 60 point guy. And he's going to put up some peripherals. Like he's a guy that isn't afraid to get into the mix and, and mash it up and get some hits and do a little bit of everything. He plays both wings at dimes. So you're going to be able to kind of hopefully have some positional flexibility with him as well. And I, I, th- I think he's a guy that I'm looking at and I'm like, I would love to stash him on my team. Wait, because like he got a cup of coffee with the St. Louis Blues this year. Like they they tried to keep him on that roster for a little bit, and when he went back to the WHL, he was one of the best players in the entire league. He's just a physically dominant, offensively dominant. He's becoming a, a better two way presence. As for Hellenius, the big thing with people being disappointed with his draft year is this guy is not an offensive talent. If you're you have peripherals, you have face offs, any defensive stats, whether it's blocks or hits or anything like that, he'll get you some of those. But his offensive game is very simple. It's meat and potatoes. It's going to go north, south. He's not going to be this dynamic presence, but he's going to play at the NHL level. I think he's a guy that just looks like an NHL third line center that puts up a few points, comes up clutch. He's a guy that I think in the playoffs, you're like, oh, wow, he had like a pretty decent playoff run. Like he was weirdly integral to that Stanley Cup run or something. And he's going to be one of those guys. So I think he's going to be an NHL player. Is he going to be as important as a fantasy asset as he is a real life asset? Probably not. But I, I still think he's going to be a pretty good player. All right, so I've actually been excited about this question. Now I think I think this is the most fun question out of all of them. I'm always big on the new things. Who who are going to be the guys that we get to see this year that you know we've been hearing about? And like, who are the guys that are going to make that NHL jump this year? I think Jake Neighbors is going to be that guy. Um, looking around the league, I think a guy like uh, Simon Edmondson could get some time in Detroit. That blue line is absolutely brutal beyond the Calder winner and the more outside of this year. And I think his spot for the pickings, I think if he's not on the, the Red Wings, it's because he had an absolutely brutal camp. Um, you're looking at the, the guy on the Leafs. I think Nick Robertson's going to be a guy that could possibly get some, some minutes. I think he's a guy that they're going to look at and they're going to go, well, we lost Mikheyev. Can Nick Robertson bring that energy? Can a guy like Alex Steves bring that energy? So I think the Leafs are going to have one or two young guys that we're not really kind of expecting. And if it's, if it's Robertson, I think there's some goal scoring upside there. So I think you could look for him Um, looking around the league. I think Shane Wright, obviously is going to make the jump and and you're going to have maybe Sokovsky and Eurocheck do the same thing. Going back a couple of drafts, though, I think you're going to have a guy like Alex Newhook, and he was in the league a lot this year. I think he's going to take that jump next year to really be an NHL player, be an impactful NHL player, and make a, a big impact. I think Bowen Byram's maybe kind of cheating because he's obviously had this great playoff run, but he got he was injured for so much of this year that you didn't really get to see him this year. I think he's a guy that's going to produce a ton from the back end as well. And th- there's a lot of guys that are going to make the jump, but those are a few of the names that I, I really like. Let's dial it ahead one year. Who do you got in the 2022-2023 Calder class? Like, who are we talking about next year? 
Oh, way too early caller picks. Um, the easy one, Shane Wright. I think he's going to get a ton of votes because I, I do think he's going to play a ton for the Canadians. He'll probably score a pretty decent clip, I think. Um, at least my that's my hope. I think he's going to... He's a guy that you watch this year and his scoring every month, the rates went up. It was like a point per game the first month. And by the end of the year, it was almost two points per game. So he's a guy that I think is going to be in that class. Um, I think Owen Power is going to be in up and up in that. I think he's going to produce <laughs> a true. ton because Buffalo is going to go. Rosmus Aline and, and Owen Power, you're both on the top power play unit because we have no one. Um, I think Buffalo is going to really love to see him up there. And if he doesn't, he's going to get second power play time. They'll probably split them pretty evenly. Um, you look at the other guys from last year's draft class. I think Matty Beneers is going to be a Calder pick. Um, if I have to, to make a stick, it's probably going to be Matthew Beneers, though. I think he plays so such a smart, intelligent game. He plays so many different roles. He's going to play on the power play. I think he'll play in the penalty kill next year. I was surprised I didn't test him out that much this year on it because the defensive side of the game is probably the most refined part of the game for him. He plays with a ton of speed, and I think that's uh, such an important trait in the NHL today. And at the end of the day, Seattle's kind of garbage, and they're going to need someone to score. So him and Jared McCann or him and whoever they, they pair with, they, they're going to have to put up some points. And I think Matthew Beneers is going to be able to find a way to kind of get those points because hopefully Seattle goes, we need to bring in some skill to play with our, our young guys. Where do you see Marco Rossi fitting into all this? Oh, I love Marco Rossi. I can't believe it. I feel like I... I feel like a jerk for not bringing him up. He's a guy that I, I had to sneak him in. No, I I'm glad you did because he, he's a guy that I could certainly see winning the Calder. I think he obviously had the, the COVID issues and the, the stuff that kind of even bled into this year, which is crazy to think because he was a point of game player in the AHL. So I think if, if the wild can find a spot for him in the top six, even in the middle six, if he ends up on the third line, I think he's a guy that's just scoring a ton of depth goals, plays in the power play, plays on the penalty kill, because, again, his defensive game is really refined, too. I think he's a guy that could certainly win, uh, at least be a Calder finalist next year, if not be the winner. I love it. All right, Tony, that's all we got for you tonight. My my kids slept through everything. My daughter usually wakes up like 12 times between 11 and 12, so this is great. Uh, we're super happy that you were able to come back. One more time, let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Uh, all my work's uh, there. You can find my end of the year draft rankings at wingwheelpodcast.com. They're also pinned to my pro my Twitter, so you can just check them out there. And uh, there's a top 50 with a write up on everybody. And then there's a link to a top the the bottom 50 with a bunch of honorable mentions as well, with a write up on all those guys too. Uh, it's always my favorite project of the year. I go super in depth. I try not to be the uh, uh, I'm not going to call it any names, but I try not to put out one or two sentences like some of the bigger profile guys do. Uh, I, I, I like to give a, a big, decent chunk of a scouting report. So you actually know who these guys are before they get into the NHL and before they get into your team's favorite prospect pool. So uh, check that out. And then all my other works at thehockeynews.com. And you can game tape videos will be coming out a few more before the draft. And then we're going to be pumping them all up again because I've got guys like Brad Lambert, Joachim Kamel, Jagger Ferkus, Connor Geeky, Matthew Savoy. I've done a bunch of different guys. Include, and I also did Eve Gascon, who's not necessarily fantasy purposes, but she was the first female or the most recent female to play in the QMJHL and, and get a win. So uh, that, that was a really fun one too. Man, I was, I was about to say this is uh, the home stretch that you might just be able to coast until the draft. It doesn't sound like it. No, I wish it was. And honestly, at this point, it's not much work I'm putting out. It's more just appearing on podcasts, appearing on the radio, uh, doing stuff with the Red Wings, doing stuff with the LA Kings, doing a bunch of different things. And it's a ton of fun, but it's uh, it's getting to that point where I'm exhausted. I can't wait to take a, a week-long nap after the draft. Well, man, thanks for carving some time out. It was great to see you. Uh, anytime for you guys, as long as you're willing to work with my needing to push it back 15 minutes like tonight. Oh, my God. Absolutely. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks a lot, guys. 
All right, guys, that was our chat with Tony Ferrari. That was awesome, man. Yeah, it was, that was a good fun. I got I snuck a couple shots of uh, tequila in there, and um, had a good time. Tequila mockingbird. You know, big thanks to Tony for hanging out with us tonight. He was uh, like, I'm still, I'm still reeling from it. Like that was a really good show. I don't think he looked at notes once. Like, like we're here on Zoom. And he was just making direct eye contact with the camera the entire time. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like, it's just because he doesn't have to. I hope you guys uh, were able to take some stuff away from this one. And again, big thanks to Tony for hanging out with us. And uh, we'll catch you next time. We got Mitch Brown coming on the show next week. And then we're going to do a Dynasty mailbag. So if you guys have any Dynasty questions, get in the Discord or find us on Twitter at FHF Hockey and hit us up with your Dynasty questions, whatever they may be. So we're looking forward to hearing from you guys and we'll catch you next week. Love yous. Love yous.